Good morning and welcome to Bite Size. My name is Yoni Pollock, and I'll be your host on Wednesdays, every Wednesday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And you're probably wondering why there was no music under that. It's really simple. When uh, we broadcast from Israel, which is where I am actually, I'm, I'm currently sitting on the uh, terrace of the presidential suite at the Inbal Hotel, where we've been doing a ton of broadcasting this week, all the JM and the AMs. Um, I actually did my after further review from here, the Thursday live lunch from here, um, Naomi Nachman's table for two on Friday will be from here. So uh, this has kind of been our mobile studio for the last uh, four or five days, uh, three, three days, excuse me. Um, and anyway, when we're in our mobile studio, it means there are some capabilities I'm not able to do. Some of that being I can't play music from my phone while also, from my uh, computer, excuse me, while also recording. So, all right, for this kind of almost first episode of this season of Bite Size, it won't sound exactly the same as it will for now on. But, you know, I've come to terms with it, so I hope uh, y'all can too. But nonetheless, uh, excited to be back here on Bite Size. Should have a good show for you here. Um, it, 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 this is really cool. Um, I've done shows on the road before. I think I've I've done a bite size, I believe, from Israel. I know I did one when we were in uh, Boca. What was it? Almost two years ago. Um, I think I did one while I was in Houston as well. Um, but I've never done one. I think from the Mirpeset here, and it's really just cool overlooking the whole city of Jerusalem. You see, um, I guess somewhat ironically, many different hotels where you could see, um, you know, the wall. Um, you can't see exactly the Kotel wall, but you can see the surrounding wall. You could see just all the different apartments and the hills and the trees and just beautiful with the lights. It's night here. Um, and pretty much, I mean, pretty much anywhere you go in Israel, you're going to have a great view. And, and um, you know, whether you see on Instagram or just different people following, maybe you're following, right, Tova Connect, Tova in Israel, who we'll hear from later on. Um, you'll always see stunning pictures of, of Israel and crazy views and uh, and whatnot. But, you know, just being out here, so surreal, just to see it all and to kind of feel it and actually be in it um, is really so cool. But uh, what we have for you on this show, and usually I kind of start with bite size um, with somewhat of an opening. However, today, you know, kind of keeping it short, I know it's the first week. Um, I'll probably have a lot more of my thoughts um, or able to contain my thoughts and actually reiterate, reiterate my thoughts to you um, next Wednesday while I'm in studio. Um, but for today, we're going to keep it short on the opening because we got a ton of music to get to and also a few interviews. The first one, uh, will be from Tova. We're going to replay her interview with the late Ari Fold. And the interview took place, um, I believe it was earlier last year. And obviously we all know the news surrounding um, the late Ari Fold and how he was tragically taken away from our world. Um, and Tova asked that if we can, and, and Tova was a dear friend of his, so um, she asked if we could replay that interview um, for this week's episode. Um, it would mean a lot to her. And so um, you should find it you know, fascinating. Um, and that'll be at around 9.30 a.m. or so. And then uh, at 10 a.m., we'll hear from Joanna Shepson, who interviews Tzvi Gleish of Herschelism, an art gallery um, in Jerusalem. And that'll be at about 10 a.m. And then uh, we'll wrap things up towards the end of the show. Usually with Miriam this time, it'll be just myself um, overlooking the hills of Jerusalem and everything else out here. Um, so that'll come up towards the end of the show. So I know it's not a usual show, no opening for me, kind of quick, whatever it is, five minutes or so. Um, but what you are used to, you'll get today, and that is plenty of great music coming up right here, right now, on Bite Size at the Nahum Siegel Network. So 
שמעתי שעושים פה מסיבה בלעדיי אף אחד לא עושה את זה יותר טוב ממני נשים את הצרות מאחוריי אני לא הולך עד שכולכם מג'נונים שמעתי שהתחלתם בלעדיי אף אחד לא עושה את זה יותר טוב ממני הראש כבר מסתובב כולם בהיי לא נעצור עד שכולכם מג'נונים
לפעמים מרגישים שהחיים כל כך קשים, מה יהיה עוד יום עד שנה? התקרנו יום? אבל אני מחייך, לא דואג להמשך, כי יש לי, יש לי אמונה. לפעמים מרגישים שהחיים כל כך קשים, מה יהיה עוד יום עוד שנה? אבל אני מחייך, לא דואג להמשך. יש לי, יש לי אמונה אני מאמין בניסים אני יודע שיש אלוקים והוא בורא עולם הכוח של כולם שומע את קולי אני מאמין בניסים אני יודע שיש אלוקים והוא בורא עולם הכוח של כולם, ישלח לי את הנס, ישלח לי את הנס שלי, יאללה! תקווה
توی دانش ما ای زایی خیل زایی خیل دواری مربه ای کال و ای سک توی رانش ما ای زایی خیل زایی خیل دواری مربه ای کال و ای سک توی رانش ما bottom of hour number one here and it's time to replay um, last year's interview with Tova as she interviewed the late Ari Fold. Um, Ari was a dear friend of hers and uh, someone that as you probably have heard um, 
was tragically taken from our world um, just about um, about a month or so ago at this point. And um, Tova asked if we, if we can replay it um, for her. It would mean a lot for her. And and um, so I you know I obviously said I think it would be a great idea. So here's Tova's interview with Ari Fold from just about a year ago, right here on Bite Size at the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you, Yoni. I'm sitting in the beautiful Inval Hotel lobby with Ari Fold, Assistant Director to Standing Together, an international speaker and Israel advocate. Ari, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tova, for having me. What a pleasure. So before we get into everything that you do in terms of standing, to, standing Together and all your different you know, speaking tours that you do, can you give us a little bit of background about who you are in terms of your family, Aliyah? Sure. So I was born and raised in Queens, New York. My father was principal of SAR for 30 years or so. Uh, And since I was very, very young, even before I even came to Israel, I came to Israel only when I was 16 approximately, I used to have these vivid dreams about being in Israel and, you know, even in the army, I would have vivid dreams about wars in Israel. No idea where that came from. But uh, my grandmother, who survived many different concentration camps, I think it was the age of 16, Uh she gave me a pep talk. And she told me that, you know, this is not home. Wow. You need to listen to your grandmother. Yes, so I did. (laughs) But the truth is, I was 16 at the time. I wasn't really listening to her. And, you uh-huh. know, I said, Grandma, come on. This, you know, the Holocaust can't happen here. Yeah. And she said to me in Hungarian, Boland, which means, you know, stupid, I guess, stupid head or something like that. She said, we felt the same way in Hungary. And I had a great-grandfather who was a general in the German army in World War I yeah. with the Germans. Wow. I had someone in the parliament in Hungary. And it was all stripped, you know, in a, in a second in World War II. So either I was 16, it kind of seeped into my brain that, you know, maybe Grandma's right. <laughs> So what did you do? So, <laughs> at 16. Truth, yeah. So the truth of the matter is, is that you know I was still playing you know hockey in high school and MTA and you know sports and girls and sports and you know like a regular teenager. Teenager does in America. Okay. But those dreams, those vivid dreams of really in the army in Israel were were, were insane. And my brother, my oldest brother Moshe, was in the army uh, six years before me. Uh-huh. And we were here updates from all the time. And something was pinching inside. I mean, my parents brought us up in a very religious and Zionist way. So we knew someday we're going to get to Israel. Yeah. We don't know when that would happen. It was internalized. It was internalized. It was, it was running very, very deep. So in 90, I was supposed to come for my bar mitzvah, and my grandfather fell ill, so I didn't come for my bar mitzvah. Uh-huh. And then I came on Achva, yeah. 10th grade tour around Israel, which was mind-blowingly awesome. Yeah. I mean, I was literally eating the dust on the ground here. It was, it was great. Um, my parents stayed for the year for sabbatical after that, and in '91 I came to Yeshiva here for, in Yeshiva Takot on the Rav Bina here for the year, uh-huh. which was for me realizing a dream that you know emotional, you spiritual beyond belief. Like again, I was playing hockey the year before, uh, so but it was it was so, mind blowing. Something spoke to you, and so my parents realized it when CNN was in Israel that year. Uh-huh. It was the year after the Gulf War. Wow! So there were like 30 guys instead of 120. Uh-huh. And CNN was once at the Kotel, and they were asking people about Jerusalem, not ours, and this. And I got up, and I gave them a pep talk. <laughs> so my parents actually saw it on TV, and they're like, who is this guy? You, <laughs> I'm sure, knowing you, I'm sure you set them straight. Well, yeah, but I, I was never like that before. In other words, I, again, it came I was... from somewhere. Uh, of course. But, yeah. Uh, you know, but I never stood up like that before. And my parents were like, who is this guy? Yeah. So at the end of that year, I called my parents, and I said to them, Iman Abba, I- I'm joining the army. Uh-huh. They were a little bit nervous. Right. Um, but they'd already gone through it with your other brother now. That's true. I think I was, he was the firstborn. So he was like the responsible. You know, he was everything. He burped sun, sunshine. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was a sandwich kid. Uh-huh. So 
What do you mean you're going to the army? Yeah, yeah. They, they were very nervous about it. More than, you know, they weren't against it. They were yeah. just nervous. And then I wrote them a letter, which I guess came very from somewhere very deep down. Uh-huh. You know, mentioned grandma. I mean, my grandmother, she survived four different concentration camps. And, you know, she had stories where every time I would, I would write a report in high school, I, I would use her as a source. Wow. You know, we had, she grabbed her cousin off the death line in Auschwitz. Um, when Mengele was separating the people in different lines, yeah. so my grandmother was very strong, she went to the late line, and her cousin saw her parents killed. So wow. she was a little bit senile, so they put her to the death line. And oh. my grandmother ran out of line and grabbed her wow. and saved her life. Wow. And we heard stories from her right and left. We heard stories that in Hungary they were very friendly with the Hungarians, non-Jews. And when they came to take her away, the non-Jewish neighbors were cursing them out, saying, get out of here. So I wrote my parents a very, very emotional letter saying, you know, this is a historical oasis. And I'm not going to miss this opportunity. And they were very confused. You know, who, who, who is this guy? You know, what happened? He was playing, you know, hockey and sports and nothing matters. So that was a very, I think that was, that was the transition of, you know, believing in something and then actually acting on that belief. Okay. So then... So I joined the army in August 92. Okay. Uh, I had a couple of other lone soldiers with me. I was a lone soldier at the time. Um, it, wasn't a big, it wasn't a big thing back then. It wasn't soldiers. a big thing. No, no. There, were no. there was no support systems. There was no, no cell phones. You couldn't call home. Right. You know, there was no lone soldier center. There was no standing together. There was, you were on your own. Yeah. And there was no open. Right. So I was in with another around five lone soldiers. We had three from the United States, one from Canada. And two or three from two from France, I think. Okay. And we all went in together. We were friendly right away. You know, speak, spoke English. It was great. Um, and the army service was going great. You know, it was really fantastic. I was like, literally realizing a dream there. Yeah. Like they dr- literally had dreams when I was younger. Were coming true. Coming true, which was it, you know I put on when I put on that uniform the first time I was crying. It was like, so you emotional. know, two thousand years of weight just like on your shoulders it was really emotional I mean yeah. we're, not, we're not at the whim of anybody else anymore we have our own soldiers which is really mind blowing yeah so the army service was going great and then in March 93 um, we were in our tent and one of the officers came in and asked us if we knew who Yoshua was Yoshua was a Canadian guy who drafted with us and he was 24 when he drafted uh-huh. and they asked us if we knew where he, where he was now Yoshua he was 24 when he drafted he was picked to go to officers course and we were begging him not to go. He was engaged. You know, he did his duty. Right. Start your life. Right. And his reaction was basically, I'm not going to be an officer in the IDF. Like, what do you... It was not even an option for him to say no. Uh, so he went back to Jerusalem to his fiance to say hello. And then he was supposed to go off to officer's course. So we said, no, he, you know... You don't know. We don't know where he is. He went to... So we called Karen up, his, his fiance. And he said, where's Yoshua? And she said he was here Wednesday, whatever it was. He left on Thursday. He's supposed to be back on the base already. Oh, no. So we were calling and calling and calling. No cell phones. We were using, you know, regular... Asimun. You know? <laughs> the old payphones in Israel. Yeah. And nobody knew where he was. So we weren't nervous. We, maybe, I don't know, he took a couple of days off. You know, there's no thoughts in our mind of tragedy or something happened. Yeah. So the officer left the room, and then a couple of minutes later, the female officer came in, the one who was in charge of our emotional well-being. Yeah. And she took everyone else out of the room except the uh, other lone soldiers, and she said we found a couple of Yoshua's belongings on the road. Oh, no. And again, we weren't expecting anything. So he got, he lost them, you know. You weren't expecting the worst. No, of course we weren't. It wasn't even, you know, even in the back of our mind. And um, one of the things we were still in. 
Um, now, Yeshua became religious on his own in Canada, and he brought his whole family back. Yeah. So this and he's not going to lose. So we were like, okay, well, what does it mean? So then she said, we, we, have a, we have a suspicion, we're nervous that he was kidnapped. At that point, we were like, what are you talking about? You know, you know. Then the other officer came and said, listen, we're taking everyone out for search parties, and we don't want you guys to go. Yeah. So then it really hit home. And we said, look, we're going. We said, we're not staying here. You know. The search party started from Yerushalayim, from Tachanem Kazid, and the whole bush area, you know, when you're driving from Yerushalayim to Tel Aviv, you know those um, armored vehicles that are on the side of the road? They used to have those like 1948. Right. So behind is a forest. Uh-huh. And we were combing the forest for three days straight. It was pouring rain. Yeah. And there were thousands of people, volunteers out there. We, we had the ultra-Orthodox. We had, you know, Zionist religious. We had the second. Everybody was out there searching. And on the third day, the medic, our medic, uh, screamed. We found him. We found him. Oh, no. So we ran over. And we thought, you know, he, you know, he's resting, whatever it is. He was lifeless, and you know, a couple of jumped on him to try to revive him, but he was yeah. he was killed already three days earlier. Yeah. Um, and what happened was, we they caught the terrorists. Yeah. There were four terrorists who were dressed up as uh, religious Jews. We took them in their car. Aye, aye. Apparently, he heard them speaking Hebrew, which sounded like Arabic, and there was a struggle, and they basically murdered him on the spot and threw him off the side of the road. Oh my gosh. So you can imagine, you know, again... So this story has really uh, yeah, impacted your life? In an insane way. In other words, again, hockey, to senior retreat, it's happy-go-lucky, carefree. Two totally different side, you know, sides of the spectrum, you know, two extremes. The two years before, I visited our Herzl, the, you know, Mount Herzl, where all the soldiers are buried as a tourist. Right, and now you go and you visit your And friends. so now the funeral, and the truth of the matter is, the funeral had tens of thousands of people on the streets of Yushalayim. I met his parents for the first time. Wow. You know, I never met his parents before. And the headline in the paper in Hebrew was Yeshiva students and soldiers walk Yeshua to his last, you know. So that, that headline was him, though. It was like he was unity. It's, all, it's what he was all about. Right. You know, he went to other soldiers' funerals when he was alive. He wrote a diary and he said, if God forbid something happens to me, I don't want any gunshots at my funeral. It, it was like prophecy. It was very scary. And they didn't shoot at his funeral. Wow. So that was a big shocker. Um, that was in 93 and of course in 95 I went to, went to Bar Line afterwards met my wife well she was actually dating me when I was in the army uh-huh. and if she was able to get through that with me yeah you know, <laughs> you know. seriously that's a, that's, a so, that's tough stuff so I got married after that had a, had a couple of kids uh, my kids never actually met Yosh obviously he was, I was 18 when he was killed but they all know him they all know him. They all know, you know, the parents. When his mother, unfortunately, died three years ago from cancer. Uh-huh. And his father hasn't, you know, worked a day in his life after that. It's, it's, it's destructive. It took, took a toll on him. It's destructive. Completely. You know, nowadays you're working with Standing Together. Right. So I'm working for an organization called Standing Together, which basically supports and supplies soldiers, frontline soldiers, with whatever they need in order to make their lives a little bit easier and let them know that people around the world support them. So that actually started after 2006. Um, I was in Lebanon with my unit in 2006. We had a very, very bad time. I know we don't, we're not on video, but you can see it here. Um, we, had, we were ambushed in Lebanon, and um, basically Hezbollah fired mortars at us, and while I was trying to you know, get someone out of the line of fire, this piece of shrapnel hit me in the back. Well, it hit my vest, at least, and didn't cut, didn't blow, didn't cut me in half. Wow. Um, and it was a very, very, very close call. You can pick it up. You can like, yeah, yeah, of course, it's not going to break. Oh my God, it's really heavy and sharp. 
it's it's a piece of uh, Iranian mortar. What what the IDF told me. Oh my God. And um, that was really a close call. I mean, that that was a very when I got called up to the army to go to Lebanon. So my kids were in camp, and I was running this day camp in Beit Shemesh, and I got the call from the army. Yeah. And I took my kids out of camp and ran home. And my kids were like about to go to pool. I'm like, Abba, it's pool time. And I have to explain to my kids, well, daddy's going off to war. We have to go. Now, that kind of double life is a little bit uh, insane for the family. I mean, thank God my wife is very cool about it. Yeah. It's it's uh, tough, you know, finding out, you know, the boys, you know, boys, you know, 18-year-old boys, they go to the army and then you think that's it. But then they get older, they're called up for Miloem. It's not an easy thing. And you're called up for weeks at a time. Right. So... you see, here, when you say easy, physically, it's certainly not easy. Yeah. Um, I smile when I get a draft. Cause I, I do because there's, pride. there's a lot of pride. It's not pride in terms of raising the flag, which is also obviously great. It's pride of knowing that you're actually Doing defending Ami Israel and Eretz Israel. It's you know, it's, it's really, a, it's realizing a 2,000 year old fantasy. Yeah. I don't call it a dream. It's a fantasy. I mean, if my grandparents had you know, an army, had an army. Yeah. This, right. You know, so we got home. And I was throwing my gear into my bag, and seven minutes later, I'm waiting on my porch for the cab to come pick me up. And my wife and my four children are out there. You know, I gave my wife a hug goodbye, and yeah. and my kids gave, gave my bracha like we do on Friday night. And my hands are shaking because You're people scared. don't come back for more. Right. So we made it up north, and we were training, and we had an operation 38 kilometers into Lebanon. Our helicopter was blown out of the sky, so we were not flown in. We walked in. And we were winning in an apple orchard hiding out there, and when we got the order to go move ahead, the officers moved ahead, and unfortunately they were hit by a sniper fire. Oh, and the communications guy was hit by sniper fire, and the ones in the Jeep were hit by a missile. And so we were evacuating the guys, those guys back. Missiles hit the orchard that we were, we were you know, staying in three minutes before. Yeah. Uh, shrapnel was all over the place, and this is what I want people to understand. You know. All the rules of engagement that we hear in the UN and UNESCO and Geneva Convention, this has nothing to do with our enemies. They don't keep any of those rules. No one expects them to keep any of the rules. There's no consequence when they break those rules. Yeah. In their warheads, they put in glass, they put in screws, they put in lead shards. So right. if the blast doesn't get you, the shrapnel will get you. Right. Um, so when this shrapnel hit me, I thought, you know, besides the big piece, I thought there were little pieces in my body, and that's, you know, four minutes it hits your heart and you're finished. So I was literally saying, Shaman, you know, telling the medic, you know, cut me open. Uh, one of the officers who was hit there, uh, he was hit in the neck, oh, yeah. and he had shrapnel all over his chest. Oh, God. The doctors, 39 kilometers in, did open heart surgery on this guy, saved his life. Oh, he's wow. recuperated since then. He's ran two marathons, oh. and he's second in command of the unit right now. Are we I mean, this name, is or? what Itzik Boadana is his name. Itzik Boadana. He's he's an amazing, amazing guy. I mean, I it's strength that has nothing with physical, yeah. you know, attributes. Anyway, I got back after the war, and we, we didn't have any food left, no drinks left. We were dehydrated. We, were, we haven't slept in two and a half weeks. Uh-huh. You know, we got back exhausted. We crossed over the border, and we basically collapsed um, simply because we were exhausted beyond belief. And what, what basically happened was when we collapsed, we hear a motor coming from the Israeli side, and we all jump up like you know, lions thinking that's you know, Hezbollah terrorists. And a truck and a trailer drive up from the Israeli side, guy gets out of the jeep and says what do you guys need and i was drink food pulls yeah. out water juice cola chocolates i'll never forget that chocolate wow. loads of chocolate bars what else do you guys need we need foods like sandwiches and, and you know cake and pretzels it was just amazing 
What else do you need? So we haven't changed our clothing in two and a half weeks. He brought us underwear, shorts, t-shirts, socks, shoes, like sneakers. Did you know who he was? No. No, so so I, now do you know who he is? Well, now I know who he is. So I walked up and I said, who are you? And he says he has an organization called Standing Together. Ah. And he travels around the border 24 hours a day, guys going in, coming out, and gives them whatever they need. So I said, well, who's this all from? He's not a, you know, these guys like, I said, are you a millionaire? He says, no. He pulls out a bag of letters, thousands of them, and I pull one up and I, it says in English, Dear Chayal, know that we love you, we support you, we're diving for you, uh-huh. and we're sending this love to you. Signed, you know, Moshe, Michal, Lisa, Michelle. It was just people from all over the world. Wow. You know, and so it's all, all these classrooms full of children that are uh, unbelievable. Writing all the ideology, and, yeah. all the ideologies that I lost, and I lost some because it was a very, very bad war, yeah. came back in a fraction of a second. It restored your hope in uh, humanity. <laughs> it, well, at least, at least in my own name, you know. Right. And then I gave the letters to, to my friends, my native Israelis who didn't speak English, and I was reading it to them, and they're crying. They, they just, you know, soldiers are tough and this and that, but, you know, we're gentle kind of beings, you know. <laughs> we get back from an operation, we sit with the guitars, and we sing. Right. You know? Yeah. So this made, had a huge effect on me, you know. So when I got back from the war, I couldn't really go back to work so quickly. It was a little bit... You know, so I went to Yeshiva for a couple of years to, you know, calm my brain. Yeah. And then six years later, I was supposed to go to Yeshiva for one year. Uh-huh. Six years later, I really had to go back to work. I mean, you know. Yeah. So I went back to Tel Aviv to marketing and high tech, and it was Gehenna for me. I, it wasn't I couldn't working. stand going every morning. It drove me crazy. Yeah. So around three years ago, David Lando, the head of Standing Together, calls me up and says, Hey, Ari, how would you like to help me run the organization? Wow. So I called my office up in Tel Aviv and I quit. <laughs> like, he says, what are you doing? I said, listen, if you need me for two weeks, I'll stick around. But I, he says, what, did you get another job? I said, yeah. He goes, more money? I said, no, it's a non-profit. It's not even a tenth of what I'm getting paid here. He goes, car? No car, no phone, no nothing. He goes, what are you, nuts? You're making a difference. And I said, look, this is what we're doing. The end result was the company that I was working at actually sponsored a unit with Standing Together. Wow, call a couple to them. Wow. So, you know, I mean, it's paying it forward. You know, I'm often still in uniform, but this is really, you know, forget about being on a high every time I come back from going out to soldiers and giving them whatever they need. Yeah, so tell people, how can people get involved? You know, I know you go out on bar mitzvah trips and... Well, bar mitzvah trips now is a little bit of a problem. The IDF, because of pirated organizations, have stopped all donations to soldiers. Huh. Because they were a pirated organization that had no clearance to go on bases, and they were going on bases that were even top secret and taking pictures. Wow. So... They've now returned our clearance, standing together. Okay. And so now we're allowed to go back out to bases. Um, but the point is, what's very clear is we do not give them combat gear. That is, it's illegal according to Israeli law. Okay. Like boots and vests, it's illegal. Okay. I, I don't think, I think it's great that they should get them, but it's illegal, so we can't do it. Um, we basically give them things that are not directly um, connected to their combat. Now, we have the water packs that we give them. We have the dry fit clothing for the summer. We have the fleece jackets for the, the winter. The gloves, which have a trigger finger that comes off so they can wear them during operations. Um, and, you know, I've been on both sides. I've been on the receiving side and on the giving side. And the truth of the matter is, the giving side is a lot more, you know, uh, in terms of my, my, you know, my feelings, it's, it's tremendous. It's so exciting. I mean, I was lucky enough to go on one of these uh, trips with the Vine family. Right. That was fantastic. And then I went also on a Purim experience last year to deliver Shalchmanos. So that was really, it was a magical experience just bring my children to deliver Shalchmanos to these soldiers and seeing the soldiers' faces light up. And just a call kavod to you for leaving everything behind to just help these soldiers. You know, I always say when you see a soldier on the street, you know, you just say thank you. You say call kavod. And they, their, their whole face 
lights up. Right. They don't even understand. In other words, I'll say to the soldier, I feel when people come, you know, and they, they give us stuff, it's not embarrassment. It's like, what, what are you giving us stuff for? Like, what, what, you know, the soldiers don't even understand why they deserve it. So they're actually saying thank you to the people who are coming. The people are coming like, what are you talking about? They're thank so you. Hum- they're so humble. It's, it's unbelievable to see it. But th- th- again, the issue is, our goal is really, really simple. Wherever the soldiers are, whatever they need in order to lift their spirits, lift their morale, and let them know that people really support them from around the world, we'll get to them. We have around 5,000 Mishlach Manot that are getting to lone soldiers and other soldiers who don't really have you know, a strong family background. Pesach, for instance, we have um, soldiers who don't want to go home because they're going to be a financial burden on their family. Wow. So we package huge boxes of everything a family can possibly need for, for Pesach. Uh-huh. We don't give it to the soldiers. We don't want them involved. We send it to the homes. This, the, the IDF gives us their information, and the IDF sends the boxes to the family's home, and then the, the, the kids go home. The kids, 18, 19-year-olds, go home. They can enjoy Pesach without having to worry about a single thing. Amazing. You know, it's, it's really, it's really, it really is an amazing. I mean, thank God I have this opportunity to do this, because... Such it's therapy for me. <laughs> I really know it is. You know. It's giving back almost. Right. It's really, really amazing. Okay, so something that you do also, you go on speaking tours, you talk about, is your, you talk about Israel positivity, and you're, you're really an Israel advocate um, because a lot of the world right now is seeing Israel in a very negative light. So what is your goal on these speaking tours? So look, I think that, you know, according to Judaism, I think they say the days before the redemption... You know, they say good is going to be bad, bad is going to be good. People aren't going to be able to see the truth anymore. You know, to me, I think it's all about truth. In other words, Israel is not here by might. We're here by right. Right. And oh, I like that. We never, we never started a war. We never want war. Right. We never encouraged war. We're always on the defensive. Right. Um, and the fact that the world, you know, look at UNESCO, which, again, I'm not excited about because they have majority of radical Islamic regimes, but when they say that Jerusalem has done you with the Jewish people, it's true. You know, it, but it's to get angry is to get angry. I get angry. But now when I go out, you know, in the public and I go to a non-Jewish group, yeah. You know, if it's Christians, it's no problem because they have their, you know, their new, their, their, new, their new Bible, whatever, you know. And, yeah. and, but when, even when I go to like atheists, and people who are anti-Israel, yeah, I challenge them on the, on their ignorance. In other words, I say to them, "Look, guys, here's a simple simple question. Show me in the Quran where Jerusalem isn't written at all." Now, that doesn't mean that Muslims can't live in Jerusalem, but when they claim a right to it, they have to back that up with facts. Yeah. You know, Jerusalem was never an Arab capital, ever. It was never Islamic, holy city. Now, that doesn't mean they can't live here, but they don't have that claim. So when I go around, it's about truth. You want to, I'm not even talking about a solution, but you can't have a solution based on lies. On lies. You have that, to have a real You can't plan. have a marriage based on a lie. You, it won't work. Right. You know, and, and here the, the risk is, is worse. Because, for example, Aza, we made a deal with her. We, we ripped Jews out of Aza, 10,000 Jews out of Aza. We dug up the Jewish dead from Aza. Yeah. And everyone's like, for the hope of peace. Well, nothing good happened from that. No, he right. actually was sitting and rotting in Aza for five years. Missiles are being fired. That would have never happened if Gush Katif was still around. Right. So we have to learn from our mistakes. Um, okay, so Kolok vote to everything you're doing with Standing Together and with your Israel advocacy. Uh, continued success with that. Um, to end off the interview, I wanted to add, oh, before we end off. Before we end off, those yes. who want to be involved with oh. Standing Together, so the website is really simple. It's www.stogether, that's like standing, stogether.org. I'll um, link everything we, on the website, yeah. We have all the projects going on the website, and it's something very important, which I pride myself on when I started working in Standing Together. 96% of every dollar is going to soldier. We have no overhead. We have no, no one else is hired. Everyone's, we have thousands of volunteers. There, no one touches a percent. It's Kodesh. 
It's the money is sanctified. No one touches a percent of anything. So when people are using uh, their stuck money for standing together, you know that it's going directly to the soldiers. Correct. That's really beautiful. Okay, so now to end off, you know, you travel all over Israel. Your knowledge of Israel is remarkable. Um, can you name one place? Is it possible for you to name one place that you could call your Israel happy place? Wow, that is a difficult question. You know, well, I think, I, I mean this honestly, is that the fact that I'm in Israel is my happy place. I mean that. You know, and I, I'm not thinking about me being 43. I'm talking about 2,000 years. I am in my happy We are in our happy place. Wow. And you got to open your eyes. It's, anyone who doesn't see that, it, their eyes are, sh- you know, they're, they're shut yeah. tight. This is our happy place. But if you want to talk about me, of course, home, fa- my family, of course, you know, every Thursday night I do a live tour from Jerusalem. Uh-huh. And the opportunity and the... From the Kotel specifically. The fantasy, well, Yerushalayim. It's just mind-blowing that we can walk the streets of Yerushalayim. Right. And the day that we forget that opportunity that we have as Jews to come back to Yerushalayim and walk Yerushalayim freely is the day that we lose. So I think that is my happy place. When I go there, just, you know, I light up from there. You know, energy and everything else, it just, it, it, it shines bright. That's, That's what beautiful. it is. Hopefully everybody will have a chance to uh, experience Yushalayim for themselves. Um, so again, everybody go to stogether.org uh, to learn more about Standing Together. And uh, Ari, thanks so much. Pleasure. It's all mine. Wow, Amazing. what an honor. Thank you. Amazing. Back to you, Yoni. Again, that was Tovuk's interview with Ari Fold, the late Ari Fold. Um, this interview took place about a year ago, and she asked to replay it. And of course, um, her wish was granted there because uh i mean a great interview nonetheless but obviously everything that Ari stood for um no doubt you know is something that a lot of us a lot of us jews a lot of us people a lot of us humans um share so um thank you Tova, for the idea and uh we hope to only hear of smachot in the future she's been running around israel doing a lot of shuk tours and i know um the sukkah season is over so a lot of you have just come back but if you uh you know, check her out on Instagram, on Facebook. You could see what she went through, you know, over the last few weeks doing all these shook tours and all the families that came through and all the videos. Um, you'll want to find her at tovenisrael.com. And besides for the shook tours, obviously the great content from this land of Israel that she provides us with on a daily basis. So thank you, Tova. And um, more coming up here on Bite Size, some great music. And to- Joanna Shepson's interview will take place at 10 a.m. But for now, more music right here on Bite Size at the Nachum Siegel Network. Ya
top of hour number two. And it's time now for Joanna Shepson's interview with Tzvi Gleish from Herschel's Little Art Gallery in Jerusalem. We'll hear more about it right here, right now, on Bite Size at the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you, Yoni. I'm really excited to be back for a new season on Bite Size, bringing you interesting um, information about things going on in Jerusalem, some, some behind-the-scenes fun in Jerusalem. So today, I am at a beautiful art gallery in the First Station. It's uh, sort of new, Herschelas, and we're going to talk to Tzvi Gleish, the owner of the gallery. Hi, Tzvi. How are you? Okay, Joanna. How are you? Very good. So I wish that this interview, you know, had some visuals with it because we are standing in the most beautiful gallery with colors and paintings and art all around us. But we're going to have to describe all those things to the listeners. So let's start by just talking about your history. Where, what got you involved in art and where did you start out? Um, I started out around six and a half years ago in the city of Tzfat. I used to work for someone. I noticed that I have, uh, thank God, it's God's help, but I had a natural talent to locate and curate uh, special art, Judaica, and different exhibits. After three years of being very successful in that gallery, I decided to open up my own place. Three years later, we're here in Jerusalem. This is a very exciting adventure. We're talking about already uh, a half a year. Very successful, very different, a lot of character in the first train station. And how does it differ from Tzfat? I'm sure it's a totally different environment around here. So yes, it's uh, very live. The, the first train station is a place full of culture, full of a lot of people coming in, a lot of tourists coming. Um, it's a historical uh, structure where the exhibits are um, shown. So uh, yeah, it's special. So that's part of the beauty. The paintings are hanging on, you know, old stone walls, and you walk into the studio, to the gallery, and you just feel like you're part of a, a piece of Jerusalem history. So maybe describe to us the different types of art you have, because I'm not, I'll say right away, I'm not an art specialist, but I know what I like, I know what's beautiful. So you've got a lot of paintings here. What types of artists do you carry here? So first of all, we have over 58 different Israeli artists that all work together in one environment. We have some very famous artists like Yaakov Agam and Menashe Kaddishman. We have a lot of special artists that the gallery started with and works with, like Tovi Ben Hertel and uh, Jacob Chayat, who's an amazing artist. Uh, the whole concept is that we're always discovering and bringing in new art. I promise anyone who walks in here that I'll be surprised. It's not a typical gallery. It's a place where you could see things that you say, hey, I've never seen this before. And I think that's the beauty. Another very important thing is that in my gallery, I want to show a lot of art. So I show things that are very different, very artsy. It's not just a tourist shop. Yeah, so that's important because a lot of people feel like if they come to a gallery in Jerusalem, they're only going to find scenes of Jerusalem. Now, you have some gorgeous scenes of Jerusalem. Some are like more... Um, abstract, some are more detailed, but you also have art, I see here a beautiful painting of taxi cabs, and it looks like it might even be Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> it might be Manhattan. The gallery, the gallery, which is me, we, we love pop art in the gallery. A lot of homes are very modern, very vibrant, very colorful. A lot of religious people even today are sick of seeing the same religious paintings that they see again and again of the Kotel or, you know, a chuppah. People want things that are more modern and will fit a more modern atmosphere in the new homes today. So as, right behind you, I see you have these beautiful flower um, pieces of art, table art. Is that what you would call it, or sculptures? Exactly. Uh, table art, sculptures, metal um, pieces that are hand-painted. So yeah, those are Gerstein pieces. David Gerstein, a very famous artist who I forgot to mm -hmm. mention before. So yeah, that's part of the concept of uh, things that are very contemporary, very useful, and not just Judaica again and again. 
So it's interesting because my husband finally realized that if he bought a Gerstein for our table, he didn't have to buy me flowers every Shabbos. So he did. And we have this beautiful piece of, uh, you know, uh, metal flower work displayed on our table. Um, for all those guys listening, that's a great idea for your wives. Um, now, also, I know because I came in here once with my husband that you can customize pieces, right? You can customize the sizes. Um, how does that work? So uh, we have uh, different clients that have different uh, needs, and they're people who have a very big home. They see a very beautiful piece of art that they have, uh, that they see in a gallery, but is not big enough. So uh, we could customize it. We can make it any size they want. I know we've mentioned it before, but we ship worldwide. And uh, if someone has anything, anything in his imagination that he wants us to create, we, we can create it and uh, deliver it to his home. That's beautiful, because sometimes people you know, have a certain color scheme that they want to to show in their house. Um, let's walk over to the section with the Kabbalah jewelry and explain to me a little bit about what is Kabbalah jewelry because I'm not familiar with it, but it sounds very intriguing. So Kabbalah jewelry is something, of course, that uh, people who know Tzfat know Kabbalah. Um, of course, different secrets of mysticism of Judaism. So we have beautiful jewelry that to the regular eye will just seem beautiful and, and nice and clean. Uh, the concept is different blessings and different meanings on all these pieces. So there's someone who wants protection, he gets a piece that says something that's for protection. There's someone who wants to surprise his wife, he could get her a beautiful Eshel Chayel, woman of valor. That always works 100% success. See, we're giving you all these great tips, guys, out there for your wives. <laughs> <laughs> I agree completely and of course there's nothing like jewelry to make good shlom bayit in your home. <laughs> this piece is beautiful. Is there a Kabbalic significance to it? So yeah, this is over here, the flower of life, or the seed of life, and it also has to do with creation. By the way, this piece is made by an artist named Anat, who uh, graduated Betzalel. So we also hold a lot of things over here of young Israeli artists that want to exhibit somewhere. Uh, we do select it, it needs to be nice, but we are here to also promote local Jewish Israeli artists that want to show their things somewhere and don't know where. I love that idea, helping to promote the young artists in town. Exactly. Um, you know, by the way, Joanna, you do that a lot. And uh, <laughs> I've heard your name through them as well. So, yeah. Good well, that's why we're here, because Tzvi has really created a beautiful, beautiful gallery with so many different pieces of art in Judaica. And it's in the center of First Station. Basically, it's at the David Remez entrance or right near the center tent. Come on in whenever you're here visiting or if you're listening to this and you live in Israel, come on in. He's got something for everyone. And I would say you have a whole price range, right? You've got stuff for exactly. someone who wants a small gift or someone who wants to spend a lot on a unique exactly. piece. Exactly. We, uh, the most important thing over here, which I didn't have in Sfad, is over here, I want anyone who walks in to have a possibility to buy something. It could be a magnet, which I love. I love when a child can come in with his parents, they didn't plan to buy anything, and he'll find himself leaving with a magnet. And the same parents that bought the magnet could still buy a beautiful piece of art or decor for their home. I also love the way art can be the best souvenir. You buy something special, you remember where you were, you remember the story of the artist, and then whenever you look at that piece of art in your home, you remember this great vacation you had in Jerusalem. And that's my goal. Remember the great vacations that you have in Jerusalem. So if you want to reach, if you would like to reach Tzvi, um, you can also order things from him online or over the phone. So he can send you pictures, you can place orders, he can ship it out to you. You can email Herschela. H-E-R-S-H-E-L-E -E at funinjerusalem.com and the emails go straight to him. 
Um, just to let you know, we've got some background music going on. That's because the first station is always a happening place. So next time you're here, come on in. You see how friendly Tzvi is. Come in, just talk to him. He'll tell you some stories about the local Israeli artists who's really exciting right now. Um, and of course, you can always find your menorahs and kiddush cups and, you, you know, the typical Judaica, but in a beautiful, beautiful pieces. Nothing typical in this store. So thank you, Tzvi, for talking to us. Thank you very much, Joanna. Now back to you, Yoni. Thank you, Joanna. Thank you, Tzvi Gleish of Herschel's A Little Art Gallery uh, in Jerusalem. And for more information, you could definitely contact Joanna, funinjerusalem.com, Joanna at funinjerusalem.com, or Fun in Jerusalem, the website, or Fun in Jerusalem on Facebook, or Fun in Jerusalem on Instagram. I think I covered all the platforms. It's possible <laughs> there are more for her, um, but you could definitely find her on one of those. Uh, and she is, as I know, quick to answer. Um, and she also put out this fantastic Fun in Jerusalem kind of magazine guide um, that I had a chance that actually Miriam brought back when she was in Israel beforehand. Um, and it's so fascinating, so cool. I'm telling you, if you are in Jerusalem, if you are headed to Jerusalem, if you're really headed anywhere in Israel and you're just looking for something to do, an activity on a Tuesday night, a Monday breakfast spot, a Thursday afternoon activity, you need to contact Joanna, funinjerusalem.com, and she will point to you. I, I mean, she'll literally point you to 10 different places, and then you know she'll help you filter out those choices, what's suited best for your family. But you need to contact her, Joanna, at Fun in Jerusalem, for everything and anything um, regarding activities in Jerusalem or the land of Israel. We have more coming up, plenty of music here, and then we'll wrap things up towards the end of the show before Avrami's live lunch. So thank you for tuning in right here. More music on Bite Size at the Nachum Segal Network. So cold now, it's so dark here. What could I do? It's not very If I'm a little light, you're a little light. Together we are so very bright. A little light here, a little light there. See the smiles, it's so very clear. Shine a little light, show us the way. A brighter day Shine a little light Show us the way Lead us to a brighter day Shine a little light Show us the way Lead us to a brighter day Shine a little light Show us the way
Ze mi dojs joj vejru Persiš pohojs jaš miju Ze mi dojs joj vejru Persiš pohojs jaš miju
Leute mit Wart, Pharmaschiach, er wird noch kommen, wenn wir vertrugen sich. Jeder einer darf und immer beten mit Wart, Pharmaschiach, er will schon kommen, er wartet auf dir in mir. Oh, 
חסון לאירחו, היוצא מיחס קרן דוידה בכור, צמחור יצחו, סוסון לאירחו, היוצא מיחס קרן דוידה בכור, צמחור יצחו, סוסון לאירחו, היוצא מיחס קרן דוידה בכור, צמחור יצחו, סוסון לאירחו היוצא מיחס קרן דוידה בכור. תהליך הסנאל בן ישי משיחך כל הזמן רוצה, 
להספיק הכל פשוט תזכור. כי הכל כתוב מלמעלה, אז תנסה. סמוך על הבורא, הכל יכול. שוב, יש תנועה בדרך אל העבודה, אתה צולח אחר אל הפגישה, ואולי מרגיש שכל יום כמו מרוץ גם, גם אם אתה קצת מתוסכל, ונראה לך שזהו המזל, פתח בשם ותאמין בו. דספסיטו, קח את החיים שלך ודספסיטו, כל דבר בזמן שלא יבוא קרידו, וכל הכבה זה טוב, רק תאמין בו. דספסיטו, קח את החיים שלך ודספסיטו, כל דבר בזמן שלא יבוא קרידו, וכל הכבה זה טוב, רק תאמין בו. שלא יבוא קרידו, וכל הכבה זה טוב, רק תאמין בו. דספסיטו, קח את החיים שלך ודספסיטו, כל דבר בזמן שלא יבוא קרידו, וכל הכבה זה טוב, רק תאמין בו. ואז פתאום תראה שלב עוד מלחצים אפשר ללמוד, הכל יהיה פשוט מאוד, אחרת איך אפשר לשרוד את החיים שלך, תתחיל לקחת הקלות. מה זה כסף? אך בלי יושר אין לו משמעות עצור לחשוב לפני שתאחר את הרכבת הילדים גולדים ומה נשאר רק המזכרת תגיד להם איזו מילה טובה ותחבק יש רגעים שבשבילם תתנתק ניסית ניסית, מה שלא עשית את הכל רצית, בנית בנית ומה שלא ראית, איך שהזמן עובר כאן ולא יחזור שוב לאחור לחייך אם אתה מרגיש שאתה כל הזמן רוצה להספיק הכל פשוט תזכור דספסיטו קח את החיים שלך ודספסיטו כל דבר בזמן שלא יבוא קרידו וכל הכבה זה טוב רק תאמין בו דספסיטו קח את החיים שלך ודספסיטו כל דבר בזמן שלא יבוא קרידו וכל הכבה זה טוב רק תאמין בו דספסיטו And that'll just about wrap things up here on Bite Size. Like I said, I've been on the Mir Pesa pretty much all day. We've recorded, you know, Jam in the AM, the, third, the live launch, and everything going on. I did my show here earlier, another Jam in the AM. Um, I'll be doing... I'm recording this on a Tuesday. Um, this is not live, just based on our Israel schedule. Actually, probably, while you're listening to this, we're probably grabbing some dinner and getting ready to get to the airport to fly back. Um, but what a what a packed week when we travel you know all my friends are like well like that's probably so fun and, and honestly i love it. it it's a ton of fun and i always look forward to all the trips we do but you know it, it's a ton of fun and it's tiring um i'm not complaining at all one bit i would do it a million times over but nonetheless um nonetheless it's it's something that i look um you know i look forward to all these trips and and i'm so grateful to go on them and i always you know i thank them for always bringing me along You know, they have other choices. It's kind of like an airline when they say, you, we, we, we appreciate you flying with us. We know you have other choices. Um, the truth is here, you know, they also have other choices. They don't have to bring me along, but they do. So I thank Nahum and Miriam for allowing me to travel with them um, and be their travel buddies on these trips. And yeah, 
you know, I, I, it comes with the engineering part, and I've learned to do it, and I thank ZK and Avrami for really teaching me to do that. Um, but it's, it, it really is a fun and tiring and a lot of fun, like I said. Mostly fun, but tiring, too. Um, trip again, no complaints here. All right, that'll about wrap things up. Avrami's live launch. He's listening to this, and he's like, hey, I'm in Israel. Um, and he's doing, he did like he pointed out on JMAM earlier, both live launches that he does are now always from Israel, as he, if you haven't heard, um, moved with his family here to Israel for the year, um, checking things out. So he is here doing the live launch, so uh, he's going to take over in just a moment. Thank you all for tuning in. I uh, appreciate you sticking around. We'll have plenty of great music and interviews this entire season here on Bite Size. Finally back should have like many, many, many consecutive episodes. I know the first episode before the Chag game was kind of hectic in this episode just because I'm in Israel and kind of like pacing things together also kind of sounded a bit hectic. But once we're in studio next week, it'll be a nice flow of a lot, a lot of episodes coming up. So thank you all for tuning in for the last two years here and thank you for the last... Uh, thank you for tuning in for the last two hours here on Bite Size. It's really much appreciated, and I love the feedback. You could always send me an email, yoniandachamseal.com. Comments, questions, suggestions, criticisms, I will listen to it and take it all to heart, and I certainly appreciate all you, all of you for taking the time. So thank you all for tuning in for the last two hours. My name is Yoni Pollock, and I'd like to wish you all a good day and remind you that the Bite Size is always, always, always the right size. <laughs>